Welcome to Change Nation, a program brought to you by First30Days.com. On this episode of Change Nation, Ariane talks about fibromyalgia with author Martha Beck. Here's Ariane. Hi, and welcome to Change Nation. Martha Beck is the author of several best-selling books, including the very popular Finding Your Own North Star. She's also a regular columnist in Oprah Magazine, where she covers all types of life issues. Today, she's here with us to talk about how to handle a health diagnosis. We're also going to look at specifically fibromyalgia, a health condition that you actually might not know much about. Martha, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Pleasure to be here. So Martha, is there something consistently that people can do who've just been diagnosed with a health condition? Information, information, information. I mean, obviously, you want to get calm first. If somebody called me and said, what should I do? I would say, just breathe deeply and then go to the Internet. I mean, we live in this feast of information, and you can get so much control over your own diagnosis, your own, your own treatment program. And as you know, studies show that people who take control and learn as much as they can do better. Their prognosis is better overall. I think typically, probably when you've just been diagnosed, you go through a whole host of questions. Mm -hmm. What are good questions to be asking versus the ones that are going to take you down a path that you don't really want to be on? The first one is, what's happening around me right now? What color is the wallpaper? Um, How does it feel in this chair? Because if you start leaving your present situation, you're living in a story of a frightening future, which has... You know, I had a prenatal diagnosis of my second child with Down syndrome. So I was pregnant for three months waiting for this child to emerge. I kept him, was late in the pregnancy when he was diagnosed. And I really learned that you cannot go even 10 minutes into the future. If you're sitting in this chair and you're comfortable and you're okay, be there. And then learn and take every step, you know, every step in your treatment protocol or whatever it is, never be anywhere but in the chair you're sitting in. Um, it's the, the notion of like being present with what is and not making assumptions, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, there was a song that I heard where a chorus, part of the chorus was breathe in, breathe out, no fear, no doubt. And I used to just, that was my mantra when I was, well, in a number of situations where I've had scary Prognoses In either your life or, or people that you've helped, how do you help people deal with emotions? And I'm going to go through a couple of them, but anger, for example. So you're angry at life, angry at God, angry at yourself, angry at something for this health diagnosis. Well, the first thing is that anger creates a huge surge of adrenaline in your muscles. And if you don't move, it, it never dissipates. It, it, and it just sort of pickles your organs in stress hormones. So the first thing I would tell them is get really physically active. Go out and punch a bag. Um, I used to chop down a dead tree in our yard with an axe. It was great. And and the anger, if you put it into an aggressive act that is actually constructive, then I'm going to quote a, a feminist theorist. The anger that is affliction becomes the anger that is determination to bring about change. So if you get that hot anger out of your muscles, then you just have this resolute anger that says, you know what? I'm going to lick this thing. What about despair? What about people who are stuck or paralyzed, couldn't get up and move if you asked them to or you even personally inspired them to? What, what's, the, what's the hope? What's the 
what's the trigger that can actually move them beyond despair? Well, I had a client once who came in and she said, I'm so depressed. And I, what I heard was deep rest. So when somebody's in depression, a lot of people will say, you know, just get up and get moving. And I, I've, I've been depressed and I've tried that. And you can zip around pretending to be happy and then you want to, you know, shoot yourself in the head. It really get, makes it worse. But realizing that depression is a sign to rest deeply. And that is not just lie in bed doing nothing, but to, you know, nourish yourself in all the traditional ways, wear fuzzy socks, drink your favorite chicken soup. But think of it as deep rest for the soul and almost be like a bear hibernating. Simply the permission to rest deeply gives a space for that processing to occur. And then it's not depression, it's just deep rest. I just find, you know, we're all running around and we're all so tired emotionally and physically, and Mm -hmm. no one has ever given us permission, whether it's to rest or just like not have to be perfect, not have to be visible, not have to be sort of out there all the time. Yeah, creating positive social energy. One of the things I have people do is I just have them hold a hand up and, I, and resist me while they say different things because the body weakens when we lie. And when you say something that's a positive affirmation, like, I feel great, and you don't feel great, it actually weakens your whole body. It weakens your immune system. Lying is not good for your health. And when the lie is, I feel fine, you get sicker and sicker. Where does... Um faith and spirituality come into it. Do you find that someone who might have been diagnosed with a health diagnosis, does their faith get weaker first and then stronger? It varies, obviously. Um, But what I find is that some people cling to magical thinking. I did this with my son's diagnosis for sure. I can just sort of faith heal him into a normal baby. Um, And of course that didn't work. But there's something that happens when you surrender to the process. And uh, I want to talk about this a little more when we talk about fibromyalgia, which I have. But the the Sufi mystic Rumi says, be helpless, dumbfounded, unable to say yes or no. Then a stretcher comes down from grace and gathers us up. It's when you surrender Mm -hmm. trying to have faith in anything that something else catches you. And that's when you have faith in it because it's not you. And yet something caught you. That's the beginning of real faith. And whether you believe that there's nothing or that there's a higher power or whatever, that faith that you'll be ultimately okay is what makes life joyful. How do you help other people who are around you who are affected potentially by the fact that you have a health diagnosis? So you're trying to manage your own state, your own emotions, but then your parents or your spouse or your children are involved. Do you involve them deeply? Do you let them know if you're really scared? Do you, how, how does someone who might be listening who has someone else who has a health diagnosis, what's the best way for them to be? Um, this sounds so cruel. Mind your own business. There, are, one of my favorite spiritual teachers says there are three kinds of business, yours, mine, and God's. My business is whether I feel deeply a, a desire to communicate with you. How you handle my diagnosis, that's your business. Whether I get better ultimately, God's business. So if you feel strongly motivated to include someone else and confide in them, great. But don't then try to orchestrate their reaction. 
I want them to be supportive. I don't want them to be afraid. I've seen just as da much damage done by, for example, mothers who pretend that nothing's happening and the kids are freaking out because they can sense what's going on. I've seen as much damage that way as, as people who whine and complain and get their kids involved that way. So you have to be completely responsive to your own business. You live authentically and other people's reaction has to be theirs. Martha, how much do you think a health diagnosis is emotional versus physical? Do you think it's the emotions ultimately that are either not processed or not expressed or not resolved that start things off together with nutrition and genetics and life and everything else? Yes. <laughs> you know, yes, I mean, yes. <laughs> both. Of course, there's this mind-body connection and the mind can make the body sick or well. We've known that for many years. But also, everybody wears down. If there's anybody who's figured out the fountain of youth, they're not talking. You know, which means the body breaks. So don't blame yourself. Say, well, this is about my repressed rage at my mother. Nope. Guess what? You're a machine, and machines break. Every machine breaks. If you learn to be comfortable with that, you'll do less emotionally caused damage. But ultimately, never blame yourself for anything. <laughs> yeah, I say that. Blame never achieves anything. Mm -hmm. When we come back, we're going to focus specifically on fibromyalgia. Um, symptoms, cures, uh, all sorts of interesting information. We'll be right back. Welcome back. I'm here with Martha Beck. And our segment today is all about health diagnoses. Martha, you had fibromyalgia, mm -hmm. or I guess you maybe still have yeah. fibromyalgia. Yeah. Talk to us a little bit about how you found out that you had this? Yeah. Was this something that you you knew or did it just sort of show up? Oh, I just showed up. I was 18 years old and I was not expecting it. And it was the problem with this was not the diagnosis, but the lack of a diagnosis. And that's what happens to a lot of people with fibromyalgia. It's really incapacitating pain that affects your soft tissue, basically. So any of your soft tissue. So the best way to describe it is if you've had a really, really bad sore throat that makes it really painful to swallow, imagine that in all your muscle tissue, including your internal organs, where moving, like closing your hand, feels that w the way your throat does when you've got strep. And then imagine it going on for 12 years or 30 years. Mine was really severe for 12 years. And I was 18 years old. I was a marathon runner. I was a sophomore at Harvard. I was very high achieving. And this, I was running and I got clipped by a car, which is what my, it was called a trigger incident once I got diagnosed. And the doctor said, yeah, you were hit by a car. You've got a lot of muscle pain. Lie down until it goes away. I got up when I was 31, mm. <laughs> you know? And during the meantime, I went to every specialist on earth to try to diagnose what was going on and was accused of being a hypochondriac and malingering and whining and all the stuff that a lot of people with fibromyalgia get. Is it normal that it starts that young? Actually, I was a little early, um, but it is normal that this particular disorder strikes people who are highly active and, and high achieving. So I was so ridiculously obsessed with it because my mother has fibromyalgia. And one of the things that I thought as a child is I'm never gonna be that way. So I became massively active and of course created exactly what I feared. But almost everybody who gets it is young and active. And so the symptoms specifically are this overwhelming muscle pain, yeah. ache, all and through your body. And it can be all over your body or it can hop to different places in your body. And it's so 
it's an incredibly frustrating thing. It gets better some days and you think I'm getting well, and then it gets worse and it steals your dreams from you again. And it got to the point, you know, socially I couldn't promise people I'd be available for something fun. I didn't know what to do in terms of my professional life. I had to raise my kids on a king-size bed and thought a lot about being a bad mother. For And it just, I had a very, very small life by the time I did get diagnosed. So Martha, what, what helped? What did you do? What did you, did you keep up the running? Did you I absolutely no way I could run. I couldn't even, I couldn't even write with my hands. I used to draw all the time. That was one of my big things. I couldn't hold a pencil. I couldn't bend. I literally, I could get up and force those things, but then I'd go lie down and just shake violently from the pain. So it, no, I could, running is totally out of the question. But turning point was 15 years ago, brand new graduate from medical school, my new doctor with a cigarette hanging out of his mouth, runs back to his office and brings back one textbook that has a paragraph on fibromyalgia. And he said, I think you may have this. And as he read it, I thought, that's it, that's it, that's it. And he said, it says here that you're not damaging tissue and you should exercise, even though it feels like you're being burned alive. I went straight to the gym. And from that moment to this, it's my second life. I've gotten stronger and healthier, and now I have virtually no symptoms. Do you do anything different in terms of nutrition, hydration, anything there? I do everything that anyone says is good for your health, because when you've had your life taken away from you um, and somebody says, this might help, you do it, right? Mm -hmm. But there's no really nutritional program that they've found specifically related to it. If there's a magic bullet, it's um, exercise. But you have to, we say, start low, go slow. It's two steps forward, one step back. If anybody out there is listening to this and identifying with it, please go to the website, no fibro, K-N-O-W, fibro, F-I-B-R-O, all one word, dot com. And they have my whole story and the booklet that you can download with all my tips and how I got over it and how I got strong and how I got healthy and how I stay active and... There's more than I could possibly say on the mm-hmm. on the show, but in a, in a nutshell, you can live a wonderful, active, happy, pain-free life. Is it something that hits women more than men? Yes. Oh. I, I can't remember. I think 10 times as often, something like that. But some very famous men have had it. John F. Kennedy had it. Mm-hmm. Uh, his trigger event was being shot down in World War II in the, in the ocean, you know. <laughs> and um, so... Men do get it, but women get it more frequently. Are there ways that you can prevent this? For someone who's listening to this and going, I don't really have this, but it might show up, is it? You know, a chain always breaks at its weakest link. And if you have um, the tendency for this, whether it's genetic, it seems to be at least partially genetic. Um, If you get stressed, that might be the link that breaks. What I do now as a life coach is all about how I learn to put only positive stresses in my life. Like I only do things because it's fun, period. Because if if I do things that aren't fun for me, it hurts physically, and that's really convincing. So right now, before you get sick, start or before you get sicker, start eliminating from your schedule things that you notice are causing you to feel physically weak or sick. And most of us don't even notice that around certain people, that in certain work situations, certain places to live, we start to get sicker. 
fibromyalgia gave me this huge gift of making it so obvious I couldn't ignore it. So now I just, I change course before I really have significant pain. And I'm not only out of pain, I have this amazing, terrific life. And you do have an amazing life. For the people listening, what are stressors that you got rid of in your life, courageously, boldly, mm. that people might not sort of dare do in their own life? My religion, that was a big one. Mm. Um, the religion I'd been raised in, I, I noticed that it really, I really had a lot of muscle pain when I was around people who were strongly, zealously religious, and I withdrew. And that meant losing almost every relationship I'd had as a child. But it was so painful. And I'm not saying you should quit your religion, unless it's making you feel incredibly sick. And I went to this, you know, that faith I did, we were talking about early. I have this deep, deep belief in spiritual realities, but the religious part of it was wrong for me, and withdrawing caused a huge social upheaval in my life. But I got well. I got to stand up again. Do you feel that deepening a spiritual practice, whether it's yoga, whether it's meditation, whether it's some sort of rituals, there's a real longing, I find, for people to, to move into that? Yeah. How does, someone, really is. how does someone get started with that? Well, you know, it was so interesting. The one thing I could do when I was in so much pain was meditate. And so I, and breathe. And I, I learned to focus on breathing and meditate. And then from that, now I do yoga. And it's weird. The yoga has taken me to a whole new level of being free of the illness. I still had pockets of, of pain. Since I've been doing yoga, it's like totally gone, knock on wood. I don't need to knock on wood. It, it makes it go away. So, yeah, the ritual of it, the flow of it, in every culture there have been people who say, and they're always the healers. If you notice, the spiritual guides of the tribe are also the healers of the tribe because sickness and finding a way to faith seem to have related aspects in the human brain. So, absolutely, whatever spiritual practice draws you, and, you, and if you notice it healing you from whatever is wrong with you, I think that's the most powerful thing you can do. Martha, thank you very much. I'm going to have you repeat the website as well, just so people know where to go. Thank you. It's nofibro.com, K-N-O-W-F-I-B-R-O.com. If you have pain and you don't know why, just please check it out. It could change your life. And for all of Martha's wonderful work and books, you can also find her online at marthabeck.com. That's M-A-R-T-H-A-B-E-C-K.com. For more fascinating interviews, experts, authors, please be sure to visit us online at first30days.com. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.